1: welcome everyone to today's episode of getting in a college coach conversation i'm sally ganga from college coach um this show is pretty exciting if you're interested in a hispanic studies or other interdisciplinary major you think you might want to qualify for a scholarship for latino or hispanic students um, we're going to be covering those in segments one and two but first Uh, We're welcoming Pablo Torres, Associate Director for International Recruitment and Admissions at the University of New Mexico. Um, We'll be discussing a college. uh, We'll be discussing, you know, the colleges in the Hispanic College and University Consortium or HCAUs, uh, particularly addressing international students. But I think a lot of what we'll be saying is going to be relevant to everyone. Right, Pablo?
2: I sure hope so. Yes,
1: (laughs) (laughs) exactly. So, so I'm really um, I'm really interested in this because I think I think a good number of students are aware of historically black colleges and universities, but I don't know that as many are aware of the HCAU or Hispanic college and university consortium and the schools that are sort of members of it. So, I was thinking that um oh and so should we be t- calling them Hispanic serving institutions is that the preferred term?
2: Uh yes, I think that's actually the the, the national term, HSI Hispanic serving institution.
1: Mhm. Okay, so there's the organization as the consortium, but we should really be using HSIs. So that makes sense. So why don't you why don't you kind of dive in and tell us about um HSIs? Um, you know what some of the colleges are that has that designation. You know, just give us kind of an uh, um, an initial sort of background on it.
2: Sure. Uh, so the HSI is Hispanic Serving Institutions. It's a federally um, designated term for any accredited institution in the U.S. In particular, that has over 25% of its population that identify identifies as Hispanic or Latino. Um yeah, you know, it's a pretty broad term. Some some people prefer to identify as Latino, Latina or, or Hispanic. Um and essentially it's it's you know, it's it's people who have like a some type of Spanish heritage often have Spanish last names. So I myself would identify as Hispanic or Latino. My name's Pablo Torres, so it's kind of obvious, but you'll see people who maybe don't have names like like mine that, you know, culturally are um within this this population. So yeah, Hispanic serving institution. It's essentially any institution that has over 25% of its population. um, as Hispanic serving, um, there are over 500 institutions, I believe that are actually under that designation. There's an organization called HACU, H-A-C-U. It's a Hispanic Association of Colleges and Universities. Um, it has over 500 members in that association. Um, as far as, uh, racial groups within the U.S. The Hispanic population is is now the largest um, minority group in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So these institutions um, do serve an important purpose uh, for educating a, a lot of people. Uh, here at UNM, over 40% of the students identify as Hispanic or Latino. Um, UNM is the University of New Mexico. Uh, I, I like to joke that it's not new and it's not Mexico. Um, <laughs> you know, particularly For international students, they they don't really know all the U.S. states, but New Mexico is one of the 50 states. We're between Texas and Arizona, just south of Colorado. So I, I often do that joke just to let students know where we are geographically, um, despite our name. You know, we're, we're not new and we're not Mexico. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think Santa Fe uh, in New Mexico, I read somewhere, is the most continuously inhabited place on the North American continent. It, I don't know if that's accurate, but I mean, not new, basically.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, it's certainly it's the oldest capital city. It was it's a it was founded in 1610, um, mm-hmm. so you know predates you know all the other capital cities, including Washington D.C. Here in the continental U.S., um, it's also the highest capital city. It's over 7,000 feet above sea level.
1: Oh, Okay. See, I didn't know that either. So, um, so let's let's kind of dig in why we gave kind of a a basic overview of HSIs, but why would a student want to seek out an HSI, either international or domestic?
2: Very good question. So although, you know, these institutions have the HSI, you don't have to be Hispanic to attend the University of New Mexico. As I said,
0: 40% mm-hmm. of the
2: students here um, are Hispanic or Latino. That means 60% are not. Um, mm-hmm. It just means that there, there's a large population of students um, from, with, you know, within this large cultural group. And the benefits of attending an institution like this is that the diversity of the campus is very much part of the culture of the institution. So here at the University of New Mexico, diversity initiatives have, have almost always been a part of the campus culture. It's not, you know, it's not a rare situation to see um, somebody who identifies as a, as a minority in a leadership position or in a professor position. Um, we've, we've had many, you know, presidents throughout the past and you know faculty members and and people in different administrative roles here who come from diverse backgrounds so uh particularly for international students who don't necessarily come from Latin America but come from like South Asia um the Middle East oftentimes once they get here they they often comment that they that they like that they feel that they feel like they're comfortable here that there are people who look like them here um they don't feel like they really stand out they don't feel different so mm-hmm. I think it's it's a diversity factor. Um, it, it's sort of something that that students don't really you know after a while you, you can just feel kind of comfortable. You don't feel like you're you maybe stand out, where maybe the vast majority of students um, you know aren't from one of these backgrounds.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've worked with international students, and and the ones that weren't white were a little more mindful of of where they might want to go. Like they're like New York, California. Um, but I think it's good to know that there are states outside of those where you'll have that comfort level and New Mexico is definitely going to be one of them. So, um, so that would be great. And what are some of the countries of origin for your international students? I think it's good to highlight that we do have international listeners. They'll know that there are other folks. I mean, you mentioned some of those, um, some of the general regions, but what are some of the common countries?
2: Sure. Um, So we're the, the flagship university for the state of New Mexico, um, essentially the largest research university within our state. So we draw students from across the U.S. All 50 states are represented in our population. But internationally, we have students from 100 countries. Um, if you count the U.S., it's 101 countries. So they come from all across the globe, uh, you know, for all of our different programs, there are over 215 programs here at UNM. And the largest majority of international students do come from Asia and South Asia um you know being those countries would be india china and at the undergraduate level our largest country represented for undergraduates is nepal We have a lot Mm -hmm. of students from nepal but certainly Mm -hmm. large numbers from central and south america as well and then some countries it's ones or twos you know there's maybe like one student from the bahamas
1: (laughs) right (laughs) yeah um so let's, let's talk about why students would want to come to University of New Mexico instead of going to, you know, maybe a school in a more famous state in the U.S. Like, let's talk about what the appeal would be. Um, you know, the, obviously you mentioned the diversity, and I'm sure there's some great things that come along with that. And maybe talk about the college in general, also what it offers.
2: Sure, absolutely. I think, you know, most students... It- you know, from depending where they're from, they may not actually be thinking about the diversity. I think that's something that happens after they get here that they they notice that. Mm-hmm. All students really are looking first for a program that matches their needs and then cost. Those are usually the top two, at least amongst international students. And so, students typically find you at University of New Mexico, or they find their you know institution based on having a certain program. So, what we often find is that as a large research university, we offer. um, a full range of programs that are pretty robust, I'd say, particularly the ones that go up through a PhD, Uh, lots of funding for research projects. Uh, So a student who's looking, for example, like electrical engineering, uh, they'll find that here at the University of Mexico, chemical engineering, we have a full slate of engineering programs that are very popular with international students. But other programs like architecture and things that people wouldn't necessarily think about, like film, we have a very robust film program and film community here. People have heard of the TV show called Breaking Bad which is probably the most famous um, <laughs> <laughs> show that came out of here but Albuquerque is actually the fourth uh, most active film community after Los Angeles New York and I think third is Atlanta right now they beat us mm-hmm. but um, so there's a robust film community here so that's another program that we, we get some students who find us for and and then and then it becomes cost um, we're one of the few institutions that, that I know of that certainly public institution we can give in-state tuition to students from other states or from abroad. So an international student or a student from another state like Iowa can come to the university of New Mexico and pay the same tuition as somebody who grew up here. Um, we have, a, it's called the amigo scholarship, uh, which is a Spanish word, uh, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> which means friend. And so with the amigo, they would pay the local in state tuition. So those are usually the things that draw them. We have a program that they want that maybe has um, some sort of research, research activity that they're interested in. And then they get a good tuition price with, with our scholarship.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you've talked a lot about undergraduate research, and I think sometimes at some of the larger colleges and universities, or I should say universities, while they are doing a lot of research, you know, you're competing with graduate students. So I was kind of wondering if New Mexico it has a more intimate feeling than some of these really large public universities, like if you could kind of talk about the opportunities that are there, maybe because it it, it isn't like, you know... Um, one of these mega 40,000, you know, uh,
2: person schools. Yeah, we have about 25,000 students of that, maybe 14,000 are undergraduates.
1: Mm-hmm. And those
2: are dispersed over about 100 majors, I guess, at the undergraduate level. And the classes, once they get into the major, do become much smaller. We, we do have some of the large lecture halls for the introductory courses, like the English 101, Chemistry 101. But once they're actually within their department, it gets... It gets small, you know, under twenty-five students per class, and there is a, a research um, office at the university that works actively to to find research for the institution. A lot of that, you know, certainly graduate students are are at the front lines of um, you know some of the detailed work, but there are a lot of opportunities for undergraduates. And within the different schools and colleges, there are uh, advisors and support offices to assist students to get those types of experiences when they want it. So. The School of Engineering has an engineering student services uh, office that that assists students to get research experience at the undergraduate level. They help them with funding to go to conferences and to participate in competitions and um, work on papers, research papers. So, um, you know, it's part of our identity. We're, we're a Research One institution. Um, there are only 14 Research One institutions that are also Hispanic-serving institutions. Mm-hmm. So... It's just part of the the identity here. And so the university really tries to, I guess, lean into that.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. So you're going to see the diversity in those labs, et cetera, as well, mm-hmm. I would imagine. Yeah. Are there any special initiatives at HSIs to kind of encourage more students from diverse backgrounds to attend? Or is it kind of almost more that it happens naturally, like because maybe there's some you know, geographic, like New Mexico is a state that is more diverse. It has a greater population of Latinos or Hispanics, so it kind of happens automatically, or are there special initiatives to encourage it?
2: Um, I think it happens more naturally, at least within our campus. There are initiatives. The university does send recruiters out to to go to various other places to attract students. Um, at the graduate level, it's a little bit more specialized. They they usually meet them at the different conferences that they're a part of. Um, but, you know, as far as like active outreach, it, some of it is is just based on our location, it, you know, from my, my opinion. And and then word of mouth, students who we talk to other students, they they connect, you know, nowadays it's all through social media. So the, the students connect with current students. Um, the days where you can only get the information just from the admission office, the, the glossy happy brochure, those are kind of over. So
1: mm-hmm. students, they,
2: they, they they reach out to other students and and they they get information.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I was wondering if you could reflect a little bit on the benefits of majority of, you know, if you are a a majority student of going to a school with a significant population of students that are not part of the majority. Because I really think it's important to kind of talk about the value of these institutions for really for everyone. So if we could dig into that a little deeper, that would be great.
2: I think it it really just develops everyone, you know, even since you're from like a majority population, it develops everyone's cultural competence, the ability to communicate across the board with people from everywhere. Um, you know, we we, we tend to see that, you know, all the students come out of here with a good sense, you know, set of those types of social skills. So, you know, being in an environment where things aren't familiar, that's part of what higher education is all about. And
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, they'll get that from unique architecture we have here. We have a very unique campus. But also just culturally, you know, it's a it's a very unique sort of milieu here. You know, it's it sort of has like a Latin bent, but there's also a very large indigenous population here in New Mexico as well. Mm-hmm. About 10% of our population that are from the American Indian tribes that are within our state. So I think that the students who come from, you know, like a majority population, they 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 do benefit from interacting with students from all these different backgrounds.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I want to kind of put in a quick plug for that too, that um I read a poll of, we do a lot of research on sort of career. We we do some kind of advising around majors and how those impact careers. And a big thing that people don't realize is that global competency is actually really valued by employers. And, you know, a simple way to do that is to um, take languages other than your own. Um, but also attending an institution like University of New Mexico, it would be pretty easy to demonstrate that kind of competency. I think,
2: absolutely. And studying abroad, University of Mexico is great for study abroad. You pay your tuition. You, all of your scholarships go with you, and you go to another country. You have, you know, over ninety different direct exchange programs here. So, you know, coming to University of Mexico, it's affordable. But that affordability will will help you if you want to go study abroad as well.
1: Mm-hmm. What What are some of the countries where you have the study abroad programs?
2: Uh, you know, the the most popular are always like UK, Spain, um, but we also have very robust programs in South Korea. Japan, uh, Central and South America, a lot of students go to Ecuador as well. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. All right. So lots and lots of opportunities for students, both, uh, you know, majority and uh, uh, otherwise. So um, any last thoughts about University of New Mexico? Um, You know, how should a student start if they want to look into it or if they want to look into other HSIs? Like what's a good place to start to, to do your research?
2: They could look at HACU, H A C U, that that's a, a large membership organization for Hispanic serving institutions. University of New Mexico, it's very easy, just UNM.edu. You can Google mm-hmm. University of New Mexico and you'll you'll find us there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: it's a very unique place. So
1: Okay. All yeah. And so just awesome. Yeah, just a broad and and I would imagine a place where it's pretty easy to get someone on the phone, uh, which isn't always the case at other schools, but you think they can get through to someone pretty easily or do a chat or something like that
2: oh yeah yeah absolutely
1: okay all right great all right well listen this has been so helpful thank you so much um all right everyone so um we're going to be taking a short break but when we return i'll be talking with Neal relais a a new colleague of mine here at college coach and we'll be discussing hispanic studies and other interdisciplinary college majors thanks so much Mm
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help.
1: Welcome back, everyone, and welcome, all. So uh, we're going to be talking about what it means to major in Hispanic studies um, or other inter- interdisciplinary majors. And I think this is a great discussion to have because I think a lot of students aren't aware that that's even a possibility, for example. So let's kind of um, let's dig in by talking about what a major like Hispanic studies um, actually is.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me and excited to talk about this topic. Um, So an interdisciplinary major is is distinct from a double major or a major and a minor because it's actually exploring the intersections or the overlaps between certain disciplines, right? And that's why it's called interdisciplinary. So I was not a Hispanic studies major myself, but I did take an interdisciplinary approach to my undergraduate education. So I was an environmental studies major, but in my, my college, Middlebury College... We had to pick a certain discipline to explore alongside that. so I was an environmental studies major with a focus in policy. Um, so for for my own experience, to just give you a little bit of insight, that meant that I had to take classes that took me into the political science realm, into economics, into computer science, into literature, into the natural sciences, all as part of my my own degree. and part of those part of those courses were required, and some of those were were elective in nature. So it made for a really interesting and exciting approach to to my own four years in a sense, because it had me using such different parts of my, of my brain, right? Sometimes I'll, I'd start a morning with going out into the field and taking samples from a river for an, for an environmental science class, and then spend that afternoon in another class in environmental negotiations and role-playing for a political science course. So uh, so that diversity was was really exciting. Um, in the perspective of of Hispanic studies in particular, uh, there might be different approaches to what is under the umbrella of of an interdisciplinary major like that one, right? For instance, you might take the example of the College of William and Mary, where the emphasis is a little bit more toward Spanish as a language, somewhat a little bit more about the literature and. There are certainly still some options to pursue some some elective coursework to choose choose some of those courses within your particular major. But then there's other examples too. For instance, uh UC Riverside, where you pick a pathway within that particular Hispanic Studies major. So you could really emphasize in literature, you could really emphasize in linguistics, you could really emphasize in cultural studies. So even those intersections are one that you get to guide a little bit depending on the choices.
1: Mm-hmm. So so I think that that's important to note, too, because I think students don't always realize that each college might construct these differently and that there are going to be some very, very different possibilities. So how might I mean, it sounds like you've clearly been doing your research like you did your own program, but you looked at how other colleges did it, too. How might students sort of find out more about how different colleges might approach this?
4: And I would say as you're looking at colleges, this is a great thing to do, period. Period go to the department specific websites, they will lay out the courses that are required for a particular major, which ones are, are required and which ones are elective courses, what is the pathway to being that particular major and what opportunities might you have to make some choices along the way. For, for programs that are interdisciplinary major, those, in nature, those tend to be uh, even more multiplicit. right? The, the number of choices that you have, the way to sort of uh, craft your own journey Um, You do land up having a lot of choices, but those those websites are fantastic. They'll also tell you who the faculty are, who the professors are in those particular departments. They might tell you a little bit about what graduates within those programs have gone on to do as well. And for a high school student or a parent to look at those course descriptions can be really exciting sometimes. You're getting a glimpse into what your life at a particular university might actually look like, what those classes are all about, and what your day-to-day might actually feel like in that particular major.
1: So are there students who are going to be better suited for these majors versus students who maybe shouldn't do them as much? Um, You know, I'm I'm speaking about interdisciplinary just kind of broadly.
4: So there's a ton of benefits to to thinking about an interdisciplinary major. Um, It could be that you don't want to make a choice at, at a cost to another choice when you do have two maybe really well uh, loved interests, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that might give you the option to actually pursue both, um, and and not have to sacrifice one for another. For so those those sorts of students might really find that that exciting, and it is it is also an opportunity to to consider um, that those intersections are where so much new knowledge can be created, right? That there's opportunities for re- for real in depth research and coming up with really interesting topics to pursue independently through your four years at university as well. And for those students that, that are excited about the prospect of developing into incredible lateral thinkers, like creative problem solvers, it does give you the opportunity to develop different parts of your brain, as I was saying earlier, right? And look at things from different perspectives because each field might give you a different uh, toolkit. In terms, mm-hmm. of, uh, in terms of your own skill development. So, so that might be, be something that, that's interesting and exciting for some students too. And, and I think that there is a way to, often, depending on the school, but there is a way to stamp your own independence into some of these course selections often as well, particularly with, with interdisciplinary majors where you do have some more sway in deciding your journey three or four years, which might translate to be, being a really interesting, fun and exciting journey intellectual journey for for you as well, and as a result also perhaps contribute to strong self knowledge for for a student right so mm. i I think about the example of hispanic studies being being one of those those spaces where some students might might really love the opportunity for instance to to study abroad right there there mm. might be those pathways that exist or for some students they're they're really excited to be able to to celebrate the voices of um, Spanish writers from from all around the world, um, something that that might be overlooked at in other parts of the curriculum as well. so so, if you have that interest in developing culture inter intercultural fluency or cultural fluency, global citizenship, some of these programs are really well catered to those sorts of students.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I think about all the different, like you could study. Not just a language, but you could take anthropology classes, sociology classes, obviously history classes. When I was, uh, I was a history major in college, but a lot of my friends were American studies majors. Um, And, you know, so they did a lot in terms of, um, you know, not just the U.S. history courses that were on offer, but taking a lot of the U.S. like literature you know, English literature courses. I didn't want to do that because I wanted to study French history as well. So that was, right. my, that was my foray into other cultures. But right. um, but it is remarkable how these different sorts of um, subjects inform each other and that nothing really is, you know, completely in a vacuum, um, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, trying to avoid these silos, I think is really important. I will say though, that I think that there are some students who aren't going to do as well in a self designed major. And I was wondering mm-hmm. if you could approach that.
4: Yeah, you you might already have an interest that is really deeply articulated, that you know that's exactly what you want to do. And it is helpful sometimes to approach it in that little bit more mm-hmm. of a formulaic way. Right. So um it, it does require a certain level of self-direction that that some students might not feel as as comfortable with. And and instead, because of the un, you know the unknown being the unknown, that having a certain uh, direction and path ahead of you for for a major might actually be something that students desire, and that's and that's really great, you know. To to consider another possible disadvantage is that you might not necessarily get to fully experience the depth of what is available in mm. a certain major if your focus is the intersection of two topics, right? Um, because you have limited coursework to explore, uh, sometimes those majors are designed to draw from, but not necessarily give you the full uh, experience of what it would have been like to major in one or the other of those fields. Um, so, so that's a potential drawback as well as you're considering these choices. Um, but the other piece there is, and this is not by any means an insurmountable challenge, but sometimes these majors are less less well known. Right, so mm-hmm. when you're thinking about the next step into career, into graduate school, into your professional lives, uh you have to do some storytelling about you know what are the skills that you personally developed within this journey that you had, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that you you will have a diversity of skills to talk about, uh, but you do might you might have to do that education, you might have to do that storytelling about connecting the themes that that you experienced as a student. And 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 shaping that into a narrative that's compelling about what you might bring to that next step in your journey.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that's important to dig into. I I had a long conversation yesterday with a family who um, whose daughter was not actually interested in engineering, but they thought she needed to major in engineering because that there's a clear and obvious career path. And what I was trying to talk to them about was about how students, w- w- while if you don't do something like engineering or nursing, your career path might not be obvious, but it is also very flexible and it can also still be strong. You're just going to need to invent more of it. So I think kind of stressing that, I mean, I I can certainly think of lots of careers that someone with Hispanic um, studies might have done. And actually, before we dig into that, like, let's note the fact that you work your major was environmental studies, and right. you work in education. Um, and I think your last position before this was related to environmental issues. But yeah. now, what you're doing is not really so. That flexibility is there. Like, why don't we talk about uh, like your notion of kind of how the skills that you learned from your degree led to this kind of path that you took?
4: Absolutely, and same for you, right, Sally? Too. Um, yeah, that's very true. <laughs> and, and and it's it honestly, these are examples that it's just it's not just the two of us. There's so many people mm. that don't land up necessarily, you know, mm. in the exact field that they might have majored in in college. It's some I, I don't know the exact statistics, but I almost feel like it's more common that's the case than not uh, sometimes. Mm. And for for my own journey, I I love the path that I took, and I would never mm. change what I had done as an undergraduate. Uh, it it got me to to really um, understand um, that I wanted to make a social impact in the world that I did that 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 was important to me as an undergraduate and continues to be something that I care about tremendously in the world of education today. Right, um, it it helped me bring to my education work uh, a de- data orientation and ability to be comfortable with quantitative skills as well, um, and it done so much of that as. As a as an undergraduate student uh, studying environmental policy, uh, with all the economics and stuff that went into that. Uh, in addition to that, I, I certainly think of think of the the policy picture very differently than than someone who perhaps was solely a practitioner and came to the education space from um, from perhaps a little bit of a of an of a narrower educational pathway themselves. So many examples I can talk about that for forever certainly, but the idea there really. Is being deliberate in your four years as an undergraduate, particularly with the choices that you have, to consider what your strengths are, push yourselves within those realms, and also see other opportunities to to do things that are put me outside of my comfort zone, mm-hmm. whether that's in your major or not in your major. Right? Sometimes you still have choices to do other things, and as a result, tell really compelling stories uh, about how you've grown in your skills in your um, in your knowledge base in a variety of different topics over those four years. Uh, for instance, you know, the, I think the most compelling class that that I took in some ways as an undergraduate was not a writing heavy course. It was actually a computer science class because mm-hmm. for the first time it had me thinking in a really algorithmic way and had such a big influence in the way I write, in the way I process information, right? So That's an example of of those connections that sometimes you don't know until you experience them. Um, And as a result, folks who do these interdisciplinary majors have a lot of doors open to them, again, based on that story that they're able to tell. Right. From the example of the Luso Hispanic studies major at my own undergraduate institution, Middlebury College. There are folks that have gone to be on to be World Bank economists, to be. Um, you know, a senior vice president at J.P. Morgan Chase to be mm-hmm. correspondents with CNN, to be foreign services officers, to be founders of marketing agencies, the, the breadth is incredible. And that's true for so many of these different programs.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I also think people should just know that you can, you know, you can go into business from Hispanic studies. Like you can do things, like one of our colleagues was a flute performance major. You know, like I love that one would, you know, and I'm sure and she certainly like one of the things that she talked about, I remember at one of our meetings was her sort of performance skills that when she's giving a presentation, even though she's not playing a flute, she sort of walks out on the stage. She feels like there's a responsibility to the audience and there are things that she learned from being a flute player that help her in kind of a direct way, but in a way that none of us, I think, would necessarily think about. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm always trying to encourage students to really pursue the thing that interests them, because I feel like if you do that at a high level, then you will absolutely be able to find your path.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. And in 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 a lot of different ways. Um, any sort of last thoughts about like, I was wondering, do you have any examples? I didn't prepare you for this, so I apologize if I'm putting you on the spot, but I was thinking about sort of other examples of uh, of kind of interdisciplinary majors. Mm-hmm. Any additional ones that you can think of that students might want to think about?
4: Yeah, I think many of them do have to do with um, opportunities within the social sciences sometimes, and 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 sometimes also within um, feels that get you thinking about different parts of the world right is there a language component that can be articulated within a certain major and that can become certainly um, you know it's not just a language but the cultures that 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 are related to that language the geographies related to that language some of some of that but you might also see them in spaces that that will surprise you sometimes it's a you know, it's, it's, it's biology and computer science, right? I was just talking mm-hmm. to, a, to a student about that the other day and said, you know, I think it, it was uh, Northeastern, if I'm not wrong, that, that had a particular program that was at the intersection of those two fields that was so interesting and exciting for that student because that's exactly what the two fields that, that they wanted to do were. Um, so I hope that in your journey of exploring different universities, you take a look at the major offerings and then take a look is there a section about interdisciplinary majors and and take and see what's out there and sometimes mm-hmm. these things develop organically cuz maybe there was one student and one professor that did it independently and maybe in the years afterward there was slowly more and more interest and that then landed up becoming a major that's often how these things go um so it's it's hard to predict which place has what necessarily but there's a big world out there and a lot of really interesting Uh, interconnections and opportunities to to craft something that that is is fascinating to to students
1: Mm -hmm. absolutely all right thank you so much nio pleasure thanks for having me all right we're going to take a short break and then be right back to talk with college coaches finance counselor alex gonzalez who will be telling us about scholarships for hispanic uh, or latino latinx students
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more.
3: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everyone, and welcome, Alex. Thanks so much for joining me today.
3: Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: All right, so we um, we wanted to talk to you about um, scholarships, basically geared towards Hispanic um, and/or Latinx students.
3: Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah.
1: So, so what qualities are? I mean, obviously, some of them seem pretty obvious, but let's dig into the qualities that colleges or other scholarship agencies might be looking for in those scholarships.
3: Or yeah. Recipients. Yeah. Well, elephant in the room, like membership right so like a membership a connection um how does the student identify in the latinx community or hispanic community kind of and that is kind of up to the student i always say like you know how do you uh, you know connect with your identity um when you're submitting your application so there's no like checklist there's no like um um, litmus test, I guess, of saying, okay, am I Latino enough or or, or not? Um, and so, really, it comes down to kind of who you, who you are, who you how you identify, maybe even how you're categorized in mm-hmm. other spaces as well. You might not have given thought of like, oh, what is my identity in this space? But maybe you've experienced um, being categorized in that day that that space as well. Um, and so that might say like, oh, I might be a Latino, you know, like that. That question could come up, and so um, that's one thing. Um, in addition to that, like your relationship to the community. So qualities that scholarships are going to look like, look for, or might ask you in an application might be the relationship that you have in the community, and that could range from a lot of different things. Hmm. Um, your family, how 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 is that dynamic? What are those cultural? Uh, cues or or experiences that you have or their history as well. It could be your relationship, you know, related to school or the community at large or community organization where you live, your neighborhood, other things like that. So um, yeah. And then like all scholarships, um, you know, your commitment to learning and education. So mm-hmm. um, oftentimes like, this is kind of that question of like, are we looking for a strong, like strong academic students? Um, You know, I have to be a 4.0 or I have to be outstanding. Um, Well, in some cases, some univers some, some colleges or or scholarships are going to look, look for that. Um, But, but also they're going to look at, you know, how you are learning about yourself. How, how's your experience influenced um, how you learn or kind of Um, what your relationship to education is. Mm -hmm. That could be inside and outside
2: of the classroom too.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. So it could even be that you're, yeah, volunteering in your community. I mean, could it be something like that? Could be clubs at schools. Um, I had an interesting discussion at a sort of um, admission counselor boot camp about um, kind of also like a young woman this isn't directly related although kind of tangentially but she lived on a reservation she was a native american student yeah and she wasn't directly involved in any activities sort of for native american students but um you know and some people thought well if we're going to give her a scholarship for that she should be involved and i said but she lives on a reservation she's part of a majority culture yeah where she is so doing something kind of explicitly around that rubric is, is sort of not a necessary thing. And yeah, yeah, like, and when she went to college, she, where she was part of then a minority instead of a majority, she then did join organizations around sustaining that community and sustaining her identity within that community. So I was just wondering, yeah, if you had comments on that.
3: Yeah, no. And, and, as high school students, I mean, I, I've been there. I, I identify as Latinos, uh, you know, Latino male. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, your kind of identity ebbs f- and flows with the environment that you're in. And so, and we talked, you guys talked a lot about, like, what does it mean to, uh, you know, be a Hispanic or li- li- Latino or Chicano studies major mm-hmm. um, or, you know, how, and, and, and college can be a place where that, that, um, that identity like thrives or changes or, or, and, and, and maybe your high school experience wasn't necessarily that way because there wasn't the opportunity, whether you were in the majority or minority or Mm -hmm. kind of an in-between. And, and so, yeah, I, I think that, but there is something said about like your experience and where you're at and and providing kind of a reflective view. Um, so you might have to like kind of think about that question rather than, um, than kind of say, oh, okay, checkbox, you know, captain of this, president of this, or participated in this. Um, that's where that essay really comes into play. And that question of like, what is your relationship to the... To, um, to the community, um, but I think there's threads, like leadership can look very different in different spaces. You could be a leader at home.
4: Mm-hmm. You, could
3: be, you could be a leader at school. Um, it could be the reverse. I think learning from your experiences, maybe it was something that um, might be negative um, um, that you kind of changed or kind of experienced and then like kind of learned a little bit about maybe the world um or society and then or or about yourself um as well um you know i know I, i've sat on those review committees
1: mm-hmm.
3: um and and yeah i think the the students that shine um are those students that kind of um maybe tackle that maybe and again maybe it's not fully thought out that's not magnificent but but that they're they're you're seeing the realization or the 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 glimpse or the desire or the the connection i think those mm-hmm. really help
1: right like they're wrestling with it at least they're thinking about it and thinking about what it means yeah but and let's be fair as you said they're in high school but also i think people wrestle with and think about issues of identity throughout their life yeah so <laughs> you know that's <laughs> going to be understood So I think this is a really important introduction because I think people sometimes talk about it as if these issues of identity are, are easy and, uh, and, and they're not, they're not at all. And uh, um, so I think, and I, yeah, so I think it's really good and really important that we address this kind of to start out with that, that these are actually complex things, but the good news is the agencies are pretty open. They just want to hear how you're thinking about it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I think that's the kind of the behind the curtain moment is that mm-hmm. a lot of these reviewers my, my my myself included is like we have experienced that we've been in your shoes and so it is kind of a a place to kind of dance with the, these ideas a little bit more comfortably than you might feel than you know re- turning in a, a term paper reflective to you um, Someone outside of the community where you're having to explain there are some kind of, um, I guess, opportunities to have some kind of common experiences that, that, that can be shared.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: Um, And, and as reviewers, we're advocating for you. We want to see those things. Mm -hmm. We want to see those, those demonstrated leadership responsibility, active learning. Um, But, um, that you're on the other side of an issue um, moving forward. Because ultimately, you know, we want you to be successful, but, we, but we're we're giving you that license to be. And that's why we're asking those questions.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So hopefully that helps somewhat. I know it sounded <laughs> vague, but what we're trying to say, I think overall is just go for it because, you know, yeah. they're really going to be open. So go for it, do some thinking, but go for it. So um, so if a student thinks they want to apply for these scholarships, like where should they start searching for them?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Great. Like, so where do you start searching? I like um, kind of like a pro tip is use use your scholarship engines. So mm-hmm. those are great scholarships dot uh, com, going merry, uh, fast web. But. I like to utilize them in the directories. So Mm -hmm. you can create the profile, but use the directories because a lot of those websites and search engines will already have categorized um, some of that information for you. I will say that typically they are more national scholarships that are found in those search engines. And those are great. They target the Latino community. So uh, Hispanic um, scholarship fund. Um, there might be pro- larger professional or national organizations like uh, National Association for Hispanic Nurses. Um, even the airlines are involved. So uh, Southwest has a unique scholarship where um, it you get credit or almost like one way tickets um, because they know that travel um, for students um, is can be a barrier, and so mm-hmm. that's how you can apply for those. And you could do that throughout your whole college career as well. Um, And they might have also be open to like just general diversity or minority scholarships as well, because those are you you could be a part of that kind of target group. Where the search engines can fall short is your regional and local scholarships. And so these are really where you could shine um, when we're thinking about you as a student. So your local scholarships could be based on membership. Um, There are farmworker like uh, families of farmworker scholarships or dependent scholarships. They could be regions um, of um, unions or credit unions where your state or your region could you could be eligible for those types of scholarships. So think about that. Um, In addition to that, think local. So. Local communities, local organizations, uh, community organizations, community centers, uh, churches um, that have predominantly um, um, Latino or, or Hispanic populations, a chamber of commerce, uh, and professional networks and organizations might target students students in this population as well. Um, you know, they're they typically they start scholarships because they want to give back. Mm-hmm. And you live in that region, you live in that community, and they're giving back to that student population um, there. And they can have a wide range of, uh, of scholarships there. I was on a scholarship committee that didn't take the top 10% of s- students. It really looked at, like, that B, that B student, maybe that C-plus student, because we saw that, like, hey, college could elevate you. Um, mm-hmm. And we really – and – and a couple of board members were, were in that space and needed that chance when they were students. And mm-hmm. so that scholarship kind of guided them to that the, the kind of the criteria or our, our kind of target student.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think some scholarships are really going to understand that high school students are not fully actualized yet often, but there could be a ton of potential there that they're showing... Maybe their grades are Bs, which are solid, but not, as you said, top 10%. But maybe they're showing that potential in other areas. So I want to give a plug, too. I used to be a high school counselor, and I want to give an extra plug for what you mentioned with these local scholarships. I only had one student out of the six years that I was a high school counselor make it to the first round of the Coca-Cola scholarship. But I had a lot of students, if they bothered applying for these small scholarships from the National Charity League or the Lions Club or something like that that would get an interview and get a scholarship. And, you know, it was a thousand dollars, but it was a thousand dollars. So that really matters
3: too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've been on those boards and you're like, oh, and then sometimes those scholarships are open next year for that next group of students because you're members of the community. So, yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: All right. So we only have like one minute Um, can you give us some strategies for students to stay focused as
3: they're doing this? Yeah. Build, build a timeline. So uh, you have a lot on your plate as a senior. Um, You have college applications, financial aid, your, your, your uh, school work, build your timeline of when those scholarships are going to be available Um, target scholarships. So you know, do the research, be organized up front, and then have that plan. So target those scholarships that you meet and exceed the expectation. That's your niche. Uh, And then quality over quantity. Take the time with these local scholarships, put that effort in. That can really go a long way, especially if you're kind of in that middle bubble. Putting that extra time um, can really, really change the application. You get over the hump, and then it's really that that review committee that you're you're communicating with so that essay is important
1: Mm -hmm. all right great so thank you so much alex yeah thank you okay all right um i want to also thank pablo torres of the university of new mexico and nial relay relay um my new college coach colleague Be sure to tune in next week if you're a working parent, as we'll be honoring you for Working Parent Day. Um, We'll also be answering listener questions, so lots of good reasons for joining us. And finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website, and you can also download every show for free on iTunes. And last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific.